the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into hour three, it is a delight to uh, welcome back Hugh Hallman. He joins us every Tuesday. Took a little bit of a of a of a summer school absence uh, to uh, uh, visit another continent, but we're delighted he's back now. Former mayor of Tempe, practicing attorney in town, civic activist, educator. Hugh Hallman, welcome back to the show. How's your uh, last Tuesday of September going for you? My last Tuesday of September is going even better than it might have otherwise because I just heard the theme song for this show and it always puts me in a much better mood. Too kind. Um, are you are you like me, given all your civic and political activity here and elsewhere? Uh, people, this time of year, I try to explain to him to them, September to November in even-numbered years is like, April 14th for an account. That entire period. That's correct. Yeah. It is It is uh, the period in which we are overly busy trying to help candidates advance the ball and trying to stop crazy. And the intensity of this period of time in our lives because we are addicted to politics is, is extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly how it feels. And sometimes in my later years and the last few years, I've looked away more than I used to. Uh, but uh, even then, I still can't uh, help but step in and help where I can. One of the races that uh, you and I have both been uh, voluntarily involved in, I think it's fair to say, doing doing what we can to help is in the county attorney's race. Is that fair to say? I didn't mean to speak for you. But uh, one of the races we're very concerned about, to be sure, is the county attorney's race. This has been my message for some time now. Every race is uh, obviously important. I'd like to talk about that point as well with you. But when it comes to Arizona not becoming California or uh, don't California my Arizona or not becoming a city like Chicago or Detroit or Philadelphia, more than anything, to me at least, more than anything, it's the district attorney race or what we call county attorneys here. That's the front and the tip of the spear for keeping uh, communities safe and healthy, isn't it? I believe it is because these are the people who are making the daily decisions on who to prosecute, who not to prosecute, what deals to cut, and uh, spending the time and resources to make those decisions that help signal to the market, and that's, I mean, it truly is signaling to the world what kind of community this is. And the county attorneys here can establish a record and an approach that uh, signals to folks who might do ill that this is going to be a serious problem. And if you really want to do the kinds of things you're thinking about, go someplace else. Uh, go to California. Go to go to Chicago. Go to New York City where you can steal with impunity uh, because not to prosecute is to punish crime, I guess. Not only not to prosecute, but also some of these nonsensical – nonsensical is, isn't the right word – but some of these, let's say, dangerous and uh, provenly 
uh, fail in policies that a lot of prosecutors engage in uh, in other big cities, whether it has to do with bail, non-prosecution, whether it has to do with the turnstile of justice and some of the images we see that makes national news out of Philadelphia or New York, if it's a McDonald's or a Wawa in Philadelphia yesterday. This is because of the policies set, the anti-crime or one might say appeasing of crime policies that some of these prosecutors set under a guy. Dennis Prager says he who um, quote, likes to quote the Talmud saying he who has mercy upon the cruel will one day end up being cruel unto the merciful. And it's kind of a misplaced compassion, isn't it, that some of these prosecutors engage in that lead to some of these policies part and parcel of, uh, and maybe even attendant to some of what I was quoting of C.S. Lewis earlier. This is going to be, from your monologue, uh, as I listened, uh, reminiscent of the biggest challenge I face in a lot of the different kinds of work I do, and that is enabling behavior. That's the concept used specifically in drug and alcohol rehabilitation, but it is important in almost every social construct. Enabling behavior is when you, uh, when you, Think you're providing support and help for someone, and instead all that does is get you more of the bad behavior that requires the redress in the first instance. So in drug and alcohol uh, treatment uh, processes, you recognize that first somebody has to hit rock bottom, that you cannot help them avoid that. They are the only ones, those individuals are the only people who can change their trajectory and to try to influence them and protect them from the consequences of their behaviors uh, ultimately is what is really enabling behavior. And so parents are trying to help their children who are drug and alcohol addicted uh, not crash into the terrible consequences that result from that. And in doing so, they support that child in a way that that child can continue uh, or exacerbate their behaviors. We call that enabling. That is enabling. And that enabling behavior concept applies across the board. So in schools, when teachers are trying to be uh, kind to a student and make things easier, they're actually restricting them from facing a challenge that will help them grow in their ability. Uh, it is a hard line to draw because certainly when we are seeking to help people, uh, finding the best way to do that is difficult. Everyone's different. And human beings are very complex. It's very tough to manipulate people in a way that they'll head in the direction you want them to head. They have their own sense of well-being and will make choices based on their sense. And uh, if somebody's a drug or alcohol addict, they're going to continue to make the same kinds of choices no matter the sort of effort to manipulate that choice set. And enabling behavior inevitably means that that person goes farther and farther down that that rat hole, down that path, than they might have otherwise, because the assistance they're being supplied doesn't help them stop the behavior. It allows them to continue it. And the most recent example of that, and the county attorney is a great place to think about that, when a county attorney gets the reputation, or the office gets the reputation for cutting deals easily, then the lawyers who get paid by their clients to get them out of their troubles inevitably are getting them out of their troubles at a cheaper price uh, socially than they might have otherwise. And so the person who has committed the wrong doesn't pay the kind of price that one would want them to pay to learn a lesson not to do it again. We're also seeing that, and you've raised this as a real issue, the homelessness crisis we have is both a consequence of drug and alcohol uh, availability but also the enabling behavior that a lot of folks are engaging in. Well-meaning, 
people who want to assist homeless people uh, in our community go out to parks and, let's say, supply them food. There are plenty of places for people who don't have resources to get food in controlled environments that also help reduce the likelihood that those people engage in bad behavior. Going to local parks, because that's where homeless people are, and handing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches makes it easier for them to remain in public parks, make that park a place that others don't want to attend, and worse, makes those people more easily susceptible to the evildoers who want to peddle drugs to them. So spice and uh, and bath salts, for example, can be had for $2 a hit out in our public parks, which is a lot cheaper than spending the $3 or $4 to get the malt liquor you might otherwise have gotten. Literally, that's what's the cycle we're now seeing. And it becomes, by the way, if I may, self-perpetuating, not only self-perpetuating, but it becomes the cheaper solution to the more important problems. So if you can amass three dollars to get you through the next five hours or four hours or three hours, you're going to do that as opposing to trying to cobble together eight dollars for a substantial meal, aren't you? That's exactly the that's exactly right. And uh, maybe my analogy was lost about getting the malt liquor, but the the point well, being no, is, no, I think that's right. No, the malt liquor certainly used to do it, but now we have found cheaper ways, right? Uh, right? So Rhino instead of earning the money to right. get the malt liquor right. for three dollars, right. you're, you're spending two bucks to get for a the, different high for a different high, and worse. It's a high that is more addictive. It's a high that is more corrosive of one's brain. And that's why we have so many people out in our society right now talking to themselves and not on their cell phones. Um, We've got them all over downtown Phoenix. It's now invaded Tempe. It's invading Scottsdale. And those urban environments attract that problem because that's where other people are who can more easily be panhandled. And so, ladies and gentlemen, when somebody asks you for a buck, don't give it to them, please. It's not that they need the dollar to get something to eat. They need the dollar to match with the other four quarters they've got so they can get the hit of spice or bath salts. And that is going to lead them even farther into that hole. So rather than helping them through a problem, you're exacerbating the very same problem. We have plenty of resources poured into this, plenty of service organizations that are well-heeled to know what to do, and too many people who are making it easy for folks to engage in behavior that is antisocial and destroying our street life, meaning our downtown uh, communities, our neighborhood parks, and thanks to the uh, court in Idaho, we end up with the inability for cities to apply any kind of pressure on anyone who is, quote, homeless, unquote, uh, because it is illegal to deny someone the right to sleep in any public area unless you have structured housing for them elsewhere. Let me pick up on some of that with you, Hugh, on two fronts. One, that a Addiction model of thinking with regard to enabling behavior. I want to pick up on that. And I also want to pick up on how this is uh, suffused through public policy, not, ju- not just public policy around substance use and homelessness. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Hugh Hallman. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Y-Refi. These are investors who do really well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that, too. What they are offering is a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi, due diligence approved firm. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com investyrefi.com, or give them a call at 
3087. We're speaking with Hugh Hallman, and we were talking, Hugh, about enabling behavior when it comes to social policy. And we're talking, when we use the phrase enabling, we're obviously talking about an addiction model, right? An addiction model of thinking, uh, how some people will need to hit rock bottom and how you cannot do things that might be a temporary feel-good but long-term misery. Um, and, And I suppose that that's where a ton of the money is generally in uh, cleanup and fixing and responding. Uh, But there's another model, too, and it tends in a lot of these conversations to get short shrift, and that's the model of prevention, Uh, the model of prevention which will keep you, if it works and if it's done right, from ever having to think about what rock bottom is. Or a rock bottom for someone who never engaged in it might be something quite quite high, right? Quite elevated. Well, it is an ounce of prevention is yeah. worth a pound of cure. And that 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 phrase itself has been borne out by all kinds of economic research, um, that if you can prevent a person, a child typically, from entering into the world that leads to dangerous uh, or unhealthy or unsafe behavior that can lead to the world of addiction, that can lead to the world of all forms of nightmares, uh, then you are saving, you know, society, of course, billions, but you're also saving that individual, that family and their employers millions of dollars, uh, not to mention the, the, the physical and mental toll that goes along with it. So I have been um, I have been curiously watching as long as we are in the uh, drug abuse uh, 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 analogy, I have been watching with with real interest the rise of the fentanyl problem in this country, and think about it like this: you and I, you and I remember the eighties pretty well. Uh, we were both uh, active in different ways in the nineteen eighties on public policy. That was the second time this country got really serious about uh, attacking the drug problem in America. Uh, the first time was in the early 1970s, Richard Nixon, the Controlled Substance Abuse Act, the Rockefeller laws and all that. In the 19, late 1980s, early 1990s, uh, we created the Office of National Drug Control Policy and got involved in it again. At that time, consider this, at that time, country of 250 million people, mid-1980s, we were losing about 10,000 Americans a year to death of drug overdose, drug poisonings, about 10,000 uh, Americans a year, just under. We are now a country of 332 million people, and we just last year lost 108,000 Americans. Uh, A good student of your father's, uh, that tells me that while the population grew by approximately 30 to 33 percent, drug deaths grew something like 900 percent. That's kind of the problem I think we have to face and get realistic about when we don't do enough on the prevention front. We are now seeing a one pill can kill campaign, probably not wide enough, probably not suffused enough. But anyway, I think when you put that together with the notion that as a Western and advanced society for several years in a row now, we have done something unheard of for a Western developed country, which is seeing the reduction of age and life expectancy. Uh, We are seeing increasingly high percentages of 18 and 19-year-olds who are ineligible to join the military because of uh, obesity and drug use. Um, Hugh, it's time, I think, to start putting 
uh, not just um, our mouths, but our money and our brains into this notion of an ounce of prevention uh, prevents, uh, uh, what is it, an ounce of prevention prevents a pound of, um, is worth a pound of cure. And the notion is, I think, that we need to start taking care of our house, meaning those of us who believe in the in the underlying philosophy of natural rights and individual rights need to recognize that there is an obligation on the other side of those things. You gave rise to a voice to this in a in a recent monologue about the fact that government, uh, quoting Madison, has to control the governed and then control itself. In the same way, our individual rights and our natural rights come with them obligations to behave in certain ways. And we have put so much weight in some ways in the liberal cause of free speech and uh, opportunity for individuals to behave any way they want to that we now have turned our society inside out. And frankly, the abortion uh, debate uh, when it became Roe v. Wade is an example of that. The unintended consequence of Roe v. Wade is that pregnancy could skyrocket because the ability to abort a a fetus uh, and or child, depending on your view, is uh, the easy solution. All of these kinds of activities have these consequences. Our failure to teach children values in school uh, devalues everything that they uh, stand for. And so all of that has undermined our own sense of personal responsibility, parents' ability to impose personal responsibility, and ultimately this uh, enabled society is having these challenges across the board in every single space. From uh, children who are raised in broken households, uh, single parent families, not because uh, there was ever a family that was a full family unit, but because women are getting pregnant without fathers, without the commitment to marriage, those sorts of things. And as a result, we have more and more children born in circumstances in which they don't have a full family around them. As you and I both know the numbers, all you got to do is don't have a child unless you're in a committed married relationship, and you can call it committed or not, I don't care if you decide married, but a permanent relationship, um, don't use drugs, and graduate from high school. If you do those three things, your trajectory is significantly higher and better than if you get pregnant without being committed in a relationship with a partner who will carry that child through adulthood, if you do drugs and alcohol, and if you drop out of school, those any of those three things destroys your, your opportunity for future. And yet we have created a society in which it is too judgmental to tell people that they shouldn't have sex before they're married. Uh, and if they do, to use condoms or other birth control, uh, that if you're going to get pregnant, make sure you have a, a committed partner with you. Don't do drugs and alcohol and stay in school. I mean, how terrible of us to, to browbeat children that they really need to get that piece of paper it's not about the piece of paper. It's about the l- learning a variety of skills. Often we now call them soft skills, but things like stamina to get the job done, stick to uh, understanding how to problem solve. All of these things are what has been lost in our current society, and the results are palpable. Uh, the results are palpable. Yeah, I want, yeah. Let me pick obvious. up on that. No, let me pick up on that. I, I was addressing this about a week ago. Washington Post did this big essay story. Uh, the headline was something of along the lines of single motherhood in cowboy country. And that monologue is fabulous. I commend it to your attention, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll pick we'll get up to on the that. date. Yeah, we'll pick up on that in a moment. I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll be right back.
Portions of the show are brought to you by Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. Pure potent plant power, a blend of 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. That's it. No sweeteners, no colors, no preservatives, no sugars. 100% pure and natural. Fruits and veggies, that's all it is. And it's not going to take you weeks to know if it works. You're going to know pretty quickly because you're surging all that great stuff into your system. Boosts your health, boosts your energy, boosts your immunity. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Hugh Hallman and I are talking about, I don't even know how you would categorize this conversation, except maybe under the headline of uh, maintain, building and maintaining civil society. Uh, ba- uh, building and maintaining common values uh, to host a civil society. Uh, Hugh was recounting what Almost every piece of research that's looked into this for the past three decades now um, has discovered, which is if you graduate high school, wait till marriage before you have children, and don't do drugs, you will avoid poverty uh, by a 99% chance. 99% chance. Orders and orders of magnitude. Orders and orders of magnitude. You will, you, it will be almost impossible to, 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 to fall into poverty in this country if you maintain those three simple lifestyle rules. And I say simple lifestyle rules knowing that they are not, turns out, that simple anymore. And they are denigrated. Um, they are criticized. They are condemned. Uh, there's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Amy Wax, law school professor Amy Wax, who was giving a speech based on that very thing. And uh, the, the, the cries rose up to try and get her fired because these were not only middle class values, the students said. These were, believe it or not, white values being foisted on communities that don't have as much experience with those kinds of those kinds of, uh, shall we say, civilizational norms or familial norms to which she responded it has nothing to do with race. And in fact, so much does it have nothing to do with race that it was the white community that was behind the black community up until about the 1960s, believe it or not, on a lot of those things in a lot of communities. This was a constant theme of Bob Woodson's and Larry Elder's that until the welfare state exploded in 1964. And enabled people to become poor. That is, Ronald Reagan told us this in the early 1980s. If you pay people enough to be poor, they'll be poor. That is not a joke. It is a demonstration of enabling behavior. Exactly. Behavior. And by the 1960s in the Great Society, when Lyndon Johnson opened the checkbook, he gave people the ability to make bad decisions and continue to make them generation after generation. And so there's this odd thing. I was referencing it in the last segment um, that tries to continue to perpetuate this dangerous set of thinking. The Washington Post, I did this, uh, we looked it up, September 13th, second hour monologue, right? Great monologue, ladies and gentlemen. Once you finish listening to this show, especially if you're in the car, you go home, get to your computer, go to the... uh, KKNT. Jeepers. Jeepers. It's been a long time. KKNT 960 website and find Seth Leibson's show. Go to the. He, he had fried Seth, chicken on his mind. Yes. Well, I'm, you know, we've got, we've got we've got who's paying for all of this loan absolution stuff going on in the television. We're both losing our minds. Uh, Four hundred twenty billion dollars. But uh, go to that website and go to the third hour on on September thirteenth, the second hour. I'm sorry, and you will hear a monologue that is genius. But the nub of that genius is yeah the headline of the washington post big essay story a mother's charge in cowboy country 
in cowboy country, a single mother tries to raise her boy to be a good man. And it's a terribly sad tale of woe for this 22-year-old single mother who has been abused and gone in and out of fentanyl and heroin use um, and uh, has this boy she is struggling to raise. Now, remember, a mother's charge in cowboy country, a single mother tries to raise her boy to be a good man. And you keep waiting to hear the shoe drop about why it's some cowboy's fault, some man's man's fault for abusing or using this woman badly and not being the kind of man he's supposed to be, proving that cowboys and anybody in Wyoming is a bad human being. And yet... Not a cowboy to be found in the story. Not a one. Not Not a a one. one. It's every bad choice a human being can make that the story tries to absolve this woman of. And in every paragraph, there's some hint that it is some man's man cowboy who's at fault. Right. And you just never find it. Right. So she gets pregnant at 16. She becomes a prostitute or what she would call a sex worker and hooks up with a tattoo artist who introduces her to a life of heroin and fentanyl. We're waiting for the cowboy. What we're seeing is the opposite of cowboy virtues. But that is what I was talking about when I say this progressive mindset seems to want to foist these virtues as if they are some kind of white anti-Tiluvian belief system that comes with it a whole category of um, a, a whole category that is divorced from 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 a multicultural mindset that meets people where they are rather than says, no, here's the standard of behavior we expect in a civilized society. If you don't want to be a sex worker by age 22 with a child you can't care for. We'll pick that up. We'll pick up more on that when we come back. I'm Seth. He's Hugh Holman. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. So Hugh Holman, our guest in studio, delighted to have you as always. Hugh, thanks for Thanks for being here and lending us your um, your thoughts, your time. Um, when we're looking across the social destruction that afflicts too many communities, we were starting when we were talking about law enforcement and common sense law enforcement back in the first segment, and why these prosecutors' races are so important, why the county attorneys' races are so important, and how it can lead to a sense, if you don't take it seriously, a sense of misplaced compassion. One of the, one of the things that I really hate in our locution, especially this time of year, is talking to political experts or talking to anyone who's observing politics, and they talk about down down ballot races. Down ballot you know, races. Everyone's focused on the Senate and governor's race as they should be, and then everything else kind of gets seen or dismissed or written off or shunted off with a little less attention as a down ballot race, the superintendent's race or the school board race or the county attorney's race or perhaps a state, legislative's, uh, state legislative office, the water district. They all get kind of discounted. You want to end up with a society that is so darn confusing to you. That's how you do it. You disregard those races that you don't consider as important as the big sexy ones. You know, the progressives in the left never thought of a single race as down ballot. They thought every race was important, starting with the school boards, starting with the ones no one hears about, because that's where they can begin their march through the institutions. And pretty soon, after about 30 years, you wake up to let's say, a public school system that you don't recognize as having any interest in the public or anything considered to be a school. And our lesson for the day, and we started here, was that we need to start taking care of our own house. And as 
useful as it is sometimes emotionally to vent about the fact that the left has lost its mind and the hypocrisy that is ruling much of that is uh, driving us crazy as the left would accuse us of uh, of certain things and we talk about they've got Trump derangement syndrome, I would say we have left hypocrisy syndrome. You know what? It is true. Let's just take it. We'll take it as judicial notice. We all recognize that the left has lost its mind and that they will be filling the airwaves with hypocrisy. And what I think we might be better off doing is spending now time on those down-ballot races. Over the next several years, start thinking about whether or not you can serve as a school board member and start making inroads towards school boards and city councils. uh, And those people get skills and abilities that would allow them to move up uh, into higher offices. And then we need to do things like recruit really smart people who we may not agree with 100% of the time, but who are thoughtful and smart and apply a policy mind to it. I don't know, a guy like Seth Liebson ought to be recruited to actually get on the horse and ride in a race that is valuable to us all, even if it's not the highest profile. I'm going to interrupt you. I I have to. We all are stuck looking at CNN, looking at Fox News, and seeing that it's all about the president, the vice president, and a handful of other people, and that takes up all our mental space. We need to talk about every school board race in the places we live, every city council race in the places we live. And if we do that, we might actually start moving this needle back in the opposite direction. I agree. Let me return the very nice compliment. There are um, Democrats in Congress, as we speak, who would not be there. If uh, if if the recruitment of you to run for those offices against them uh, would have uh, would have been the saner option for our apparatuses in the state. And I'll just leave it at that. So uh, we're all looking forward, hopefully, to you can blame my three sons. I will admit I turned down a race in 2006 because uh, I had three sons. Well, some races since then, too. But the point is this. And it's a good one. It's 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 a really good one. Um, You know, no race should be seen as too small. And I think it requires not only the individuals to start thinking about those and getting more involved in their communities. The Scottsdale School District is a great example of some wonderful moms that are rolling up their sleeves and doing wonderful work to run for run for office there. And they've they've really done it and they got their act together. I also and should be supported. Yeah, they should absolutely be supported. A few other districts the same. I just know that one pretty well, really well. The other thing is the state parties, you know. I, I I don't like the idea of smoke-filled rooms, and I'm not talking about smoke-filled back rooms. But it is interesting, isn't it, in primary season that you see four Republican signs for every race and no Democrat signs during the primary system. Why is that? The Democrats kind of figure out what they need to do and who they need to back. They kind of do figure that one out. The Republicans, they don't do a good job at recruiting, and they don't do a good job of understanding the bigger point you were trying to make, which is can we find a candidate with which 90 percent of my political beliefs are represented by who can actually win a race and can actually get in there and do the job? We don't do that. We fight. We struggle. We go for each other's jugular. We write the talking points for the Democratic Party by the time our primary is over so that they can use them during the general election. And we continually end up chasing our tail. 
It is the Ronald Reagan admonition, don't treat a 80% friend like a 20% enemy. And we have in the last two and a half decades uh, done that and more. And I would again say we need to start taking care of our own house, that we uh, stop candidates who want to destroy other candidates with whom they don't share 100% of their views. Um, We now have a, a general election coming up that is got candidates who participated in bludgeoning their opponents and now cannot get those opponents to back them or support them. That's in the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party. So we may very well see a cycle in which the Republicans had easy victories and will have snatched defeat from the jaws of that very victory. And it makes me very sad. Uh, uh, People excoriate me for remaining a Republican. And the answer is I cannot turn my back on my mother's work. She spent Uh, her youth and uh, early years creating the Republican Party that ultimately gave rise to Barry Goldwater getting elected. This had been a very D state until the uh, early mid-1950s. And it was women like my mother and Sandra O'Connor who was excoriated for, of course, not being conservative enough by the time uh, she left the court. The reality is she saw how Roe v. Wade would end and predicted it and ultimately... um, helped the court write the decision that it ultimately wrote. That's pretty conservative. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, and thank you for spending some of your time with us. You were invoking James Madison earlier, uh, Hugh. I'm, I'm glad you did. This is a great month to do it. It's amazing to me we go through uh, Constitution Day in this country on September 17th, and nothing gets said about it. It's making the point more was said about Mexican Independence Day in this country than there was uh, said about U.S. Constitution Day in this country. Uh, there should be at least room for both, don't you think, in America, in the United States of America? In any event, James Madison has been much on my mind as well. You were quoting him from the Federalist Papers about how the task in forming um, a government such as ours, a Republican form of government, is first to have the government first to have the government control the people and then to have the government control itself and it's it's kind of an interesting thing he says there that comes with with um, with certain objections on both sides of it to understand it well and i think to 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 weave those two points together of control you take you have to go to something else james madison said and 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 that is that in a letter he uh, wrote to the National Gazette in 1793, he said, every word of the Constitution answers the question between power and liberty. Every word of the Constitution answers the question between power and liberty. You can read the Constitution the way the progressives do. You can also read the Constitution the way the bulk of the conservative movement, whether you're libertarian or whether you're some other kind of conservative, the way the conservative movement does, you can you can read it each way. It's obviously it's obviously the 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 balance. But right now, what my concern has been, and I think going in the elections, what a lot of our concerns have been, something we have to keep top of mind is that half of Madison is being ignored here. And it's all about controlling the people right now and not about the government controlling itself. They got the mix wrong. And in my view, it is one more step. In our education system, we are now spending all of our time talking about what's bad about America. That we have problems doesn't mean that what we have before us is the greatest genius ever supplied humankind. 
And if we don't start recognizing that and making sure our children understand it, we are certain to lose it. Hugh Holman, thank you all. And the rest of you, thank you all as well. Well, Hugh Holman, thank you. And thank you all. I'll get my language right as we end the show here. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.